never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our new guest today, Sheila Ray Gregoire and Dr. Keith Ronald Gregoire of the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex and the Good Girls Guide to Great Sex. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Of course. They mentioned, y'all, that they might have some little ones running around in the background. So if you hear them, grace upon grace, that is <laughs> just how life goes for us. My boys are at school today, so it'll be a little bit more quiet. But I'm just really excited to have you on because we receive countless questions about this topic, about intimacy and sex, because it's something that just really isn't discussed within, you know, Christian circles, which is a lot of my audience and within the church. And so my husband, Jesse, and I try to incorporate this into our conversations and into our content as much as possible, because we know and we have experienced how much it really can impact your life and your marriage. And so I would love to just hear how you got into this topic, how this became maybe a passion of yours to write books about and to discuss. Oh, it was totally by accident. I mean, nobody grows up thinking, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to be the Christian sex lady because that is weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's true. (laughs) No, I, I started blogging in 2008 and I was talking about parenting and marriage and housework and organizing all the typical mommy blogging stuff. And then the more I wrote about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I I had taken a lot of courses on this in school. I just leaned into the research and I started writing about it more and more until my blog at tolovehonorandvacuum.com basically became like the Christian sex place, which is awfully strange. (laughs) But awesome. And then one day she came. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then one day she came to me and said, you know, we're doing, I'm doing all this speaking about sex and marriage and how would you like to join me and get up on stage in front of hundreds and thousands of people and talk about the most <laughs> intimate details of our life and of course what guy wouldn't jump at that opportunity right. so uh <laughs> here we are now years later now it's been good oh that's amazing yeah that sounds a little bit like my husband he has come with his tail between his legs a little bit and just divulging some of the details but as he's seen and i'm sure as you both saw 
the response with it and the need and the desire for that conversation really prompts my husband and myself to continue having the conversation because it just shows that the demand is there because what I feel is the supply has not been enough. And so I'm really thankful for your ministries and I'm thankful for what you are doing. So let's talk a little bit about redefining the word sex and the way that we commonly think about sex and how it contributes to what is called the orgasm gap. So can you share a little bit about what you mean by that? Okay. If I were to ask you, did you have sex last night? And I'm not going to ask that because that's incredibly invasive (laughs) and creepy. But if I were to ask you that, you would probably think I'm asking something along the lines of like, did he put penis into vagina? move around, climax. Like that's that's kind of our definition of sex, right? Sure, right. The problem with that is that it's really about what he's doing and she's just kind of there, but she's not a main part of it. Like she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. She could be in emotional turmoil or she could even be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. <laughs> and we just don't think that that is the biblical definition of sex. When you look biblically, Genesis 4 verse 1, super funny verse, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And it's easy to think that God's just embarrassed of using the real word there, but the Hebrew root for to know is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, O God. Hmm. It's like this deep longing for connection. And so biblically, sex is not just intercourse. It's supposed to be an intimate experience. We know from Song of Solomon that it is pleasurable for both. She is having a good time. (laughs) So it's pleasurable for both. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it is completely and utterly mutual. And so we need to think of sex not just as one-sided intercourse, but as any sexual experience that a couple shares that is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. And that's the problem with the orgasm gap, is that we asked in our studies when we found that 95% of men respond that they always or almost always orgasm during a given sexual encounter. The number of women that answered they always or almost always is only 48%. So there's a 47 point orgasm gap. Yeah. It is. And the thing that really makes me sad and, and a little bit angry is how often I have seen in the church people use... 1 Corinthians 7, as a weapon to cajole and coerce women into one-sided sexual intercourse like Sheila was talking about. Do not deprive. And they tell women, hey, you need to put out. Well, if we have a 47% orgasm gap, it's not the men who are being deprived. <laughs> it's the women who are being deprived. And we're, we're missing out on what God intended for both of us. And it's such a terrible shame. I'd like to speak to something that I've been receiving a lot of questions about lately, which I know is not the rule. I know that it's the exception, but I am not sure specifically how to answer it, honestly. I'm not an expert in that area. And the question has been, I hear so much information about a woman who doesn't want to have sex, but I actually love sex. And my husband is the one who doesn't have a sex drive, doesn't have a desire, doesn't want to be intimate. And I'm seeing this kind of more often than I used to, definitely. And usually my first questions tend to be, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but they tend to be, you know, is there something else that is kind of holding his attention and affection that you are aware of? Or is there anything emotional within the relationship? 
And a lot of the time they don't believe so. But what would you say to these women who feel kind of like they're left out in the rain because everybody else's husband wants them or desires them and they're the one kind of turning them down. But these women are wanting their husband and thinking you're supposed to be the one with the sex drive and you don't want me or want to be intimate with me. Yeah, I think that is the worst, in a way, the worst place to be in marriage because everybody says guys want sex. And so if you're a woman who wants sex and your husband doesn't, we think, what is wrong with me? But let me just tell you, there's probably absolutely nothing wrong with you. There's probably absolutely nothing wrong with your husband. Okay, here are the numbers. And that's the thing. The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, they're not just based on our opinions. They're based on surveys of over 25,000 people. (laughs) So we conducted massive surveys of evangelicals and Christians. And what we found is that in 58% of marriages, he has the higher sex drive. But in 23%, it's shared, and in 19%, he does, or she does, I'm sorry. But in 19%, she does. And so there's a lot of women with higher sex drives than their husbands. And when it's the other way around, we don't necessarily automatically think there's something wrong. But when she has the higher sex drive, we kind of do. And I've talked to so many women who said, we had to go to counseling in the first couple of months of our marriage because I felt so undesired and he felt like he wasn't a man and it was just all a big mess. And so what you're saying, what your advice is actually pretty good. (laughs) Okay, so let's rule out any big issues. Certainly make sure there's no porn use because porn is one of the biggest killers of guys' libidos. And about 50% of Christian men do have a current relationship with porn. So we do need to make sure that's not going on. Make sure there's no emotional things going on. But then otherwise, it could just simply be a difference in libido. And that's where you both need to learn how to love each other and how to be emotionally close and how to give to one another (laughs) and how to grow intimacy. And that's something that every couple needs to learn, no matter what the libido differences are. I would think one of the ways we could help in the church is to stop talking about things in terms of gender and start talking in terms of health. So instead of saying men are like this and women are like this. When we do that, we make women who are not in that pattern feel abnormal or men who are not in that pattern feel abnormal when they're not. We should just be talking about what is a healthy relationship for you as a couple? Given who you are, given who he is, how is it going to work out for the two of you together? Instead of these very scripted, gendered kind of roles that we sort of put on top of things and make everything more complicated than it needs to be. How would you recommend just in your experience and in those studies that you've done and the conversations that you've had with so many on this topic, how would you recommend a spouse approach the other spouse, whichever one it is, who may be struggling with a desire for intimacy or may not see the importance of that intimacy within their marriage? And the spouse who is going to them is kind of struggling because they want that to be a part of their relationship. I like to differentiate between like the bare minimums and the extras. Okay, so we need to make sure the bare minimums are met before we start talking about extras. So frequency, so how often we have sex, that's an extra. (laughs) Okay, the bare minimums are these. She has to be frequently orgasming, so she has to be orgasmic. You can't argue about frequency if she's not having fun. (laughs) Yes, we got to take care of that first. There can't be any porn use, and the marriage has to be strong. Because a sex life can't support the marriage. A good sex life is a culmination of a strong marriage. It isn't a replacement for it or the cause of it. 
a good sex life can feed a strong marriage and can keep that strong marriage going, but you need to have emotional connection first. So I would just say, before we start talking about frequency, make sure those things are met. You know, there isn't porn use, that there isn't some sort of trauma or pain. I didn't mention that one, I should have, but like trauma, sexual dysfunction, pain that needs to be dealt with, you know, that they have a strong marriage and that she's enjoying sex. If those things are there (laughs) and there's just simply no frequency, then you just need to talk about it. I think that we make things overly complicated. (laughs) And I think it's okay to sit down and say, you know what? I think God made sex to be awesome and I love you and I want to experience real passion with you. And I feel like we're missing out on God's best. And so how are you feeling about that? What can I do to create a situation where you want to make love more? And what can I do to make it a better experience for you? Yeah, that's really good. And I I believe that so much of that, like you said, that we make it such a big deal with the communication aspect. And I think so much of that is that there's this feeling of shame. And whether you've been raised that way or whether that's just been the rhetoric that you've heard over time is that, you know, sex is shameful or there's this feeling of, well, unwanted or I'm rejected or I'm shameful because my spouse doesn't want me. And so therefore they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to get into that water because they don't want to hear that they're not beautiful or they're not sexy or whatever it might be. But a lot of the time, at least from our experience and speaking with couples and our experience alone is usually, as you said, there is something more underlying. There's an underlying factor. There is something usually deeper going on. I mean, not not all times. I know that there are some issues with testosterone and struggles with that. But a lot of the time, it's more of an emotional disconnect that once that is communicated and worked through, that that physical connection typically increases. And as you're talking about orgasms, I'm sure there are a lot of my audience who are curious, you know, okay, what if I'm a woman and I go in their room and maybe my husband even tries and I am just not getting there? Do you have tips or suggestions or allowances that Christian women can make to help them get to that point? Well, I think the first step is to really embrace the idea that sex is meant for both men and women. I think often in the church, we sort of say that, but we don't really actually believe it in our hearts. (laughs) And I'll give you some examples of why we think that. So for instance, in our studies, we talked in, in couples where women were orgasming reliably during sex. We asked, do you do enough foreplay as the husband? And not surprisingly, 95% of men felt that they were doing enough foreplay. But when we asked couples where the woman was not regularly orgasming, whether the husbands felt they were doing enough foreplay, 71% still felt that they were doing enough foreplay. So my question is first, of course, enough for what? (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) But I think that it points out a mindset we have, which is that we've sort of picked up the idea that sex is supposed to be easy, quick, you know, no difficulties, take no time. It's a very Hollywood view of sex as opposed to understanding that a woman's body is different than a man's body and The sexual response cycle does work differently for women than it does for men. And we need to honor that and realize that, you know, when things aren't working, it's not that I've done enough and she's broken. It's that I maybe need to learn more about what I'm doing because I'm not doing it well enough (laughs) as a man. Because the thing that's really interesting in those studies is in those couples where women were not orgasming frequently, it's not just the men. 52% of women who don't orgasm regularly, 
think that their husband does enough foreplay. They've also internalized that idea that I must just be broken. Uh, it doesn't seem to work for me. And I think if we started with the refusing to accept that this is not supposed to be good for both of us, I think we'd be a lot better off. Now, that's not to put pressure on women. I mean, certainly if women are enjoying other aspects of sexual relationship with their husband and they don't want the pressure to orgasm tonight or, or that sort of thing, I don't think we should be pushing that as the be all and end all. But, but I do think we do need to have a mindset which says this is something that's meant to truly be physically, emotionally, and spiritually beneficial to both the husband and the wife. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, this is actually one of the reasons why I wrote two different books because of the orgasm gap, because the guys need to be told, okay, guys, look, this is super easy for you usually. And so here's how you can rock your wife's world. You know, come on, guys, you can do this. Let's step up to the plate. Let's be a rock star for her. <laughs> and, and the women need to be told, you matter. You're not broken. Your sexual pleasure matters too. And this was made for you. And so the books kind of take those different attitudes towards the whole thing. But women do need to be able to learn how to embrace arousal, how to learn to listen to their bodies. And a lot of us don't know how because we spent so long turning ourselves off before we were married and being the gatekeeper in any makeout situation to make sure that it didn't go too far, yes. that we never learned how to be embodied. And embodied is kind of a, it's, it's a weird word and not everyone knows what it means, but basically it's just when your mind and your body are both experiencing the same thing at the same time. Because often what happens is with sex, we don't know how to listen to what our bodies are telling us. And that's why it's hard to get aroused. In both books, we talk a lot about the sexual response cycle, how excitement, arousal, and orgasm are all different phases. And you can't get to orgasm without going through the other phases. But excitement and arousal are very different stages for women. They're quite similar for men. They look awfully pretty much the same, but for women, they don't. <laughs> and we need to understand those two phases if we're going to get to orgasm. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about something that I truly believe can change your life for the better and a project that is near and dear to my heart. So in the past two years, the world really has turned upside down. But one silver lining that I've seen in so many people around me is that this time of chaos also brought a sense of clarity about who we want to be and what we want to do with our lives. Working from home became a norm that so many people appreciated as they spent more time with their families than ever before, found passion projects that they loved and created things that they had wanted to do for years. I know that now more than ever before, we are eager to live freely, aren't we? Away from the nine to five constrictive lifestyle and to instead enjoy the beauty that life truly has to offer. We want to work to live, not live to work. And Jesse and I realized the exact same thing, so much so that we actually changed everything. We packed up our home and moved across the country away from the only home we had ever known for over 30 years. And why did we do it? For a real quality of life. We were done with the hustle culture that had consumed us for so long and we wanted to slow down, but we knew that nobody would do it for us. So we had to do it for ourselves. 
So I dug into social media and all that I had learned over the years about serving my audience well, while also having the ability to make a real profit. Fast forward to one year after launching my first course, and because of my knowledge of social media and online courses, Jesse was able to quit his very demanding job that caused a strain on our family while I replaced his full-time salary. He now stays home with me and the boys while I work for a few days a week in just a couple of hours a day. I've also been able to hire a full team of employees in just one year. So let me back up a little bit to where it all started. Nearly seven years ago, I started a blog from my couch holding a newborn and covered in spit up. It was not glamorous, but I wanted to talk about the things that I loved. The only problem was that no matter how active I was on social media, likes and follows didn't pay the bills. So here's where things changed. I began following a girl on Instagram who created online courses. She made $15,000 in one night during her first launch and I was fascinated by her success. Now, I'll be honest, I definitely didn't think that that could happen to me, and I really, really doubted my ability, so much so that it took me three years to create The Wife Project. But I knew at one point, if I didn't at least try, I would never succeed. So after much time, energy, and some tears, I launched my first course. And the next morning, I burst into tears when I saw that I had tripled in one night what my inspiration, that girl, had profited for her own launch. And in 2020, less than one year after creating my course, I replaced Jesse's salary. I've also had the ability to create multiple streams of income by all of the knowledge that I have in Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok and all of those avenues that have built multiple streams for us to where we don't have to worry where the money is coming from anymore. I'm here to tell you that I am not special by any means. And if I can do this, anyone can do it. I also wanna tell you that it definitely is not too late for you to start, especially with Reels and TikTok changing the game. There has never been a time where you could get your business or your brand or your face in front of millions of people within hours, but now we can. And you have something we're sharing and teaching, even if you don't feel like an expert. So what's the point, Lindsay? I have created two academies that are jam-packed with secrets, tips, and tricks that I've learned over the past six years. There's no gatekeeping here. I am showing you every detail of what I've done to create a multiple six-figure income that gave us an entirely new life. Who doesn't want more time to spend with their families, to work while vacationing on the beach, and to go to brunch whenever they please? It is possible. So on April 4th, I am launching the Social Media Marketing Academy and the Online Course Creation Academy. In the Social Media Marketing Academy, becoming a confident and profitable creator, I am teaching everything from Pinterest to blogging to Instagram Reels and TikTok to SEO to passive income streams and collaborating with brands. You'll have the ins and outs of my secrets along with tons of bonuses and worksheets that help you to put what you learn into action right away. This includes goal setting worksheets with detailed instruction, time batching plans to keep you from procrastinating, 30 Instagram stories ideas to use each month, my top business book recommendations, customizable branding templates, and customizable media kits, over 15 websites that will get you in the door with brand collaborations immediately, and so much more. 
And in my second course, the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you how to create and successfully launch a course in less than 30 days. So if you are a teacher, a hairstylist, a software specialist, a musician, a mama who makes cute lunches or knows healthy recipes, a Christian who loves teaching God's word, or somebody who is passionate about anything that they've been doing for a few years, you should be making at least $10,000 a month by teaching about what you love. You are good at something that someone else is not good at, and they want to learn from you. And even if you don't feel like they do, or if you feel like you're not an expert, you have to know that online course industry is a $100 billion industry that is waiting for you to jump in. In the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you step-by-step how to find your niche, your target market, how to write your course, how to determine your purpose and price out your course. I'll teach you how to revenue plan and record and edit that course and so much more. This comes with over 25 pages of worksheets that help you to put into action exactly what you're learning. And guess what? Your course will be written and ready to launch by the time you have finished my academy. So what are you waiting for? As always, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I want you to show up and choose to move forward with that dream or that passion that you've always had because nobody else will do it for you. So click the link in my show notes to sign up for the waitlist or visit my website to learn more. And don't forget the Academy's launch on April 4th and the launch pricing only lasts for two weeks. So don't miss it. I am also offering a bundle of both courses at a very low price. So don't miss out. If you want to learn how to create and launch a course and how to create passive income streams through social media and market well, this bundle is for you. So check it out, learn all about it. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Now let's get back to our episode. This is all so intriguing to me. I love these conversations because I feel as if, one, your voices are so soothing. I don't know if people tell you that a lot, but I'm like, oh, I just feel like you guys are just, (laughs) could tell me a bedtime story. But my husband and I, you know, we've really grown in this. And I've shared with my audience before, but when we first got married, I really struggled with just a shame of my body. I didn't, especially after having children, I didn't want him to see me. I would hide, you know, and somebody in my family who loves me basically just said, Hey, Lens, you know, this is a gift for you too. You know, you're not just withholding from him. You're withholding from yourself and from the beauty that God has created within your body. And your husband isn't shaming your body. Your husband wants to see your body, but you're withholding and you're missing out on that. And that was kind of the first time for me where I had to realize this is also for me as well. And I'm very grateful to have a husband who is very much a giver. He is a servant in every aspect. And sometimes when we have conversations with couples and ask about foreplay and, you know, just working through some of the issues that they're dealing with, for us, that's my favorite part of it. And I think it's because, I know it's because my husband is a servant and he will spend two hours, you know, and that is very different from before I was saved and had past relationships and was sexually promiscuous that it was just like one and done. And it it had nothing to do with me. Ultimately, it was just their comp. They wanted to accomplish what they had set out to do. And I didn't matter. And so I started to believe that about myself until I met my husband. And so it's just encourages me. And I want to encourage other couples that, you know, one, there is growth from that and overcoming that shame. And so much of that is 
just in embracing Christ's forgiveness, but also forgiving yourself for the decisions that you've made if you have struggled with that in the past. But also, as the Gregoires are saying, to come to a place where you say, I am able to accept this. I am able to enjoy this and receive this because it is a gift from God. And that time that we spend and the time he spends, like I don't take it for granted. I know that that is probably not extremely common, but I feel so seen and loved in that area. And it ultimately just makes me want to return the favor. You know, like I want to love you well in the way that makes you feel seen and loved and it makes you enjoy that intimacy. So as you share about foreplay, is there maybe a mental block? We've heard about this a little bit. We did a sex and Christianity series in the past, but they talk about this mental block that women have to get past, that it's more, it just takes more time for them to come to a place of arousal versus a man. So how are some ways that maybe women can help to not necessarily expedite that, but can help to get their mind in a place where they're not making a grocery list and instead are focused on the intimacy with their spouse? Well, two things. First, the grocery list is actually real. (laughs) It's very difficult to enjoy sex if you have a thousand things going on in your brain. And if you can lower the load that she is carrying, it actually does help with sex. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in the guys book is the problem with mental load in marriage in that it's often the woman who is carrying all of the details for the family. So Johnny has his science fair project due on Tuesday, but we have a birthday party on Monday and we have a church picnic on Sunday. And so the only time we really have to help him with it is Saturday. And so Saturday morning, even though we normally go to the park, we're going to have to stay home and do the science project. And we have to get all the uniforms washed for the, you know, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and she's carrying all of that. Mm -hmm. And then the guy says, we never have fun anymore. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so the more that a couple can split up that load so that maybe the science fair project is entirely on the husband's plate, for instance. And that means he needs to figure out when we're going to help him with the science fair project. He needs to figure out where the glue is. If I need to go buy some construction paper, you know, like he's completely doing that so that she's not. So the more things that you can split up, that honestly does help her because one of the biggest roadblocks for women to enjoy sex is exhaustion and just feeling too much on her plate. So I'm not just talking about like him doing the dishes every now and then. That's not actually the problem. The problem is her having to keep this constant list of everything the family is doing. <laughs> and it's not shared between the two. Exactly. So the more they can they can split those things, the better. But then I would say when you are, you know, starting to fool around <laughs> and everything, two quick tips. One is for your mind, focus on what your body is feeling. I think as women, we sometimes just start kissing and doing whatever. And we think, okay, I'm just going to let my mind go where it wants to go. And when he hits the right spot, then I'll start enjoying myself. (laughs) But you actually need to take control of this. 
and start asking yourself, you know, breathe deeply. What is my body feeling? What wants to be touched? Like pay attention to where your body wants to be touched and how it wants to be touched. Because if you start thinking about it, you know, what is feeling good right now? You'll start to realize things that are feeling good that you wouldn't have realized if you let your mind wander. (laughs) So stay in the moment. And then the other part of that is understanding the difference between excitement and arousal. So this is part of the sexual response cycle. Excitement is when you're just starting to get tingly, you know, you're starting to get, your breathing's getting a little bit heavier, you're enjoying yourself, you're starting to think more in sexual ways, etc. And then arousal is when your erogenous zones start to call out to be touched. So that's when lubrication has really started to happen. Your nipples become more sensitive. Like you start to feel like you want to be touched in those places. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you read a lot of sex books, they'll tell you that the way to get a woman aroused is to touch this place for eight minutes and rub here 237 times <laughs> or whatever it might be. And if he goes right for the clitoris when she's not even aroused yet, it's going to feel like a pap smear. Yes. Yep. You know, you (laughs) have to wait. Like, don't go straight for the clitoris. Don't go straight for the vagina. It's, It's very invasive. Wait until she's actually aroused. And so in that excitement phase, that's when you kiss. That's when you run your hands along the inside of her arm, or that's when you nuzzle her ear, you know? Just think about making out as teenagers, all right? Yes, yes, totally. That's where it's, I mean, I think that's what people maybe miss a little bit. We've talked about that and joked about it between Jesse and I that, you know, I'm like, sometimes we forget to just make out. Like we almost jump into, which the foreplay is wonderful and great. And he's very patient and and wise in that. But I'm like, sometimes I just want to make out with you on the couch until I like can't handle it anymore. And I feel like we've stopped doing those things. Like we started skipping those steps, but that was so fun before. It was so fun. And it's the excitement and the passion. So I love that you share that. The other thing I would add for the guys too, is that you know, these things are not difficult to master if you know what you're doing. And and in the guy's guy, we talk a lot about what the sexual response cycle looks like and how you can navigate that as a man and really give your wife a really great time. I have seen a lot of teaching in the church that men don't just want sex. They want to feel like they're good lovers, which I think is really great. But there's not a lot of teaching about how to make men good lovers. It's more about making sure women feel like they need to make sure their husband feels like he's a good lover. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a bit of a problem because if you kind of lead him on to think that he's a rock star when he really kind of needs to go back to like basics, then, you know, it becomes really awkward three or four years down the road when he's been doing this and thinking he's knocking at the park every time when you say, you know, I like us to do things differently. (laughs) It's a bit of a shock to the system. (laughs) I think women need to learn to speak up early on in their marriages and say, you know, well, that doesn't, I'd rather do this. I'd rather try that. And, And I think we need to be more confident of that. But I think a lot of times women are taught not to advocate for themselves. And men are also taught real men know how to do these things and they don't need to learn and be open to education because they should just know it because they're men. And that's just silly. We need to be open to learning new things and, and getting better at things in every aspect of our marriage, including in the bedroom. Yeah. I, I like to tell, tell women, look, if you don't like something he's doing and you don't say anything, he's going to do that for the next over like five again. decades. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> settle yes. in. Settle in. <laughs> 
Yeah. And well, and speaking up when you do enjoy something as well, not only as you're saying, you know, vocalizing those things, it's not, oh, that's, you're not doing it for me. But in the moments where something does feel really good, I think that people can maybe feel shy to communicate how much they're enjoying something, but it encourages your spouse to obviously they it's teaching them, but it also encourages them to feel like, okay, now I know what I'm doing on for both wife and husband that you are figuring out what their body desires and what their body responds to. So I love that. I guess my last question, and then I'll talk a little bit, I want to hear more about your books. For couples who are looking to answer the question, is this all there is to sex? And they may be feeling defeated or that it's just not something that they enjoy or they feel like they, with them and their spouse, it's just not ever going to happen. What is one action step that they can take to have better sex? One of the big things we say in the book is that sex is more than just physical. If we have a truly Christian view of sex, we recognize that there are emotional and and even spiritual aspects to the sexual experience. And so the key to having amazing sex is not just technique, although there is some technique things we do need to learn. The, the key to having really solid, enjoyable, physical intimacy is to learn how to be intimate on every level with your spouse. And so we talk a lot in the book about connecting emotionally, spiritually as a couple as well too. And I think that makes such a huge difference. One of the things we say in the book is that the key to great sex is vulnerability. And that's a place where a lot of guys are not always comfortable going. A lot of men see sex as a way of validating their masculinity, as opposed to being self-assured in their masculinity and then coming to sex with the idea of what can I give to my wife? And we're trying to help men to be more like this, the latter <laughs> type of men rather than the former. Yeah. If I can give one quick tip, this can transform your marriage. It's such a small thing to do, but every day, share two emotional moments with your spouse. Because what do we tend to do at the end of the day? You know, you get home from work and you say, oh, how was your day? Or what did you do today? And the answer is, well, you know, I had five client meetings. I went to the bank at lunch. Like it doesn't really tell you anything. (laughs) But if instead you shared two moments, one, when you felt the most in the groove, like God is working through me. This is what I was put on this earth to do. And one where you just felt the most defeated and discouraged. And share those two emotional moments with your spouse. That's getting vulnerable. That's letting them see who you really are. And it's that vulnerability that is often the key to desire. That's what fuels desire in both men and women. That's why, by the way, makeup sex is a real thing, you know, after you've had a fight and you both just want to jump each other because you've been sharing what you think and feel at the most deepest level. You've put it all on the table. Mm -hmm. You've, You've let it all hang out. You've been totally honest and open. And then you want that safe place. Yes. That's right. And so share those two emotional moments and you'll find that that makes it easier to talk about other stuff too. Because when you feel like we've really connected, then it's easier to bring up other issues, including how you feel about your sex life. But it also will fuel desire, which makes sex awesome as well. We always do highs and lows or for our boys, they're four and six. And we do your sunny part of your day and your cloudy part of your day. And I realized we were always asking the boys about that, you know, and sometimes we would switch it up like what, or we do switch it up to what makes you, what made you laugh today or what made you feel embarrassed today or to determine those things. 
and Jesse and I, we were like, we don't ever ask one another at the table. We just ask the boys, but we care to know that about one another as well. And so I can vouch that it just honestly within probably the past six months that we've been intentional about asking one another. And not only has it helped us in creating that vulnerability and that connection, but I think it's really also helped the boys just to see one that we're not just these adults who have it all together, but that we have our mess in our muck too. (laughs) And just kind of sharing that transparency with them to show them our sin or the reliance that we have upon Jesus and how we need him in our lives. And even in our marriage, sometimes, you know, having those conversations where, well, the cloudy part of my day was just the fight that we had. And they'll ask, why did you guys fight? And obviously we're aware of how we communicate things with them, but it just opens doors of transparency within our family, but very much so with one another. And I think also in that, to speak to my maybe stay-at-home mamas, because I did that for so long and I still partially do, that it's really easy when Jesse comes home or vice versa. Sometimes now I come home and Jesse's here with the kids and we don't find one another's eyes. We are so distracted by the needs and the wants. Oh, Saxon needs a juice and Sutton needs this and we need to get to soccer and da 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 that we realize 30 minutes into seeing one another that we didn't actually connect even one time during that. And so we've committed that no matter what, whenever one of us comes through the door, we find one another's eyes and we hold on to that for a little bit. And it doesn't need to be this awkward moment, but you're seeing one another. You're not allowing the other to get lost in the chaos and knowing like that connection and then hug and kiss and actually kiss on the lips and say, how are you? I love you. I missed you. And even if you're feeling flustered or there's a lot going on, I feel like those moments have really helped us at least to slow down and to have those small intimacies that make it less, I don't know, for me at least, it feels less of like this hurdle to get to the large intimacy in the bedroom because those the touches and the hand-holding and the kisses on the lips, those have been those small things throughout the day that really impacted us and allowed us to desire and want that. And then of course, like pictures throughout the day and stuff, those and flirty text messages, those things have always helped us too. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to hear more about the good guy's guide to great sex and the good girl's guide to great sex. What do you hope that the audience takes away from your books and why are you so passionate about having them read these books? There's been a lot of just bad information and bad advice out there, both in the world and even in the church. And we've just embarked on such a huge journey of honest-to-goodness research and data gathering over the last few years to get at the heart of what really makes great sex and marriage. And our prayer is just that these books get in the hands of couples, you know, before they're married or in their first few years of marriage, and then they can just get started on such a better trajectory, you know, or if couples are just having issues and they've never figured this out. But I actually wrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex back in 2012, and then it sold really well. My publisher came to me and asked us to write the guy's guide. And I begged them to let me rewrite the girl's guide because we've done all this research and I don't agree with myself anymore from 2012. So we just want people to see that sex is not just physical, that it is emotional and spiritual too. And we also really want people to understand that sex is not a male entitlement and a female obligation. Sex is something beautiful that you can share together that is a deep knowing of two people, which means both of you, both of you have to matter. And on a personal level, we we struggled a lot with sex in the first years of our marriage, which is why we have so much we can offer because 
we made all the mistakes so you don't have to. (laughs) 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 We're very honest in the book about our struggles and our successes. Again, it's not really about us. It's about what the research and the data shows. But I think I was fairly typical in some of my bad attitudes about sex, some of the things we've already covered in this podcast. And I sort of think this book, The Good Guy's Guide, for me is kind of like my my letter to a younger me. (laughs) And I just wish that someone had told me these things, you know, 30 years ago uh, when we got (laughs) married so that we wouldn't have to have found out the hard way. We could have just started out in a Christ-like way from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, I am so honored to have you both on. We are so thankful. I know that my audience will be tremendously blessed by this conversation and by your books. So would you mind telling our audience where they can find you on social media platforms, on the blog, and just wherever they are able to follow along with your journey? So you can find me at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. There's links to all of my books, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, The Great Sex Rescue. There's links to our courses. We have an orgasm course, a libido course, a course on how to talk to your kids about sex and puberty. So you can find all those there. And then I'm the Bear Marriage Podcast, which is out every Thursday. So if you want to hear more about our research and about sex and marriage, you can listen in there too. Absolutely. Y'all follow along. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Keith and Sheila. It was an honor to have you. And for all of you listening, if you enjoyed this conversation, which I'm sure you did, if you gleaned anything from it, we just ask that you share on Instagram stories, tag us, let us know what you learned. Just share with a friend or family member who may be struggling in this area and open the door, listen with your spouse, allow that to be the beginning of the journey to potentially sexual healing, to growth within your marriage, and make sure to purchase The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex in order to enhance and increase your sexual pleasure and sexual enjoyment within your marriages. So we love you all. Thank you both so much again for coming on, and we will talk to you guys next Monday. Bye.